Good morning. Welcome to worship. We are glad that you are here today. Before we begin with our, our sermon, just a little bit of church celebration, church business for us uh, to attend to. This fall, we voted unanimously as a congregation to purchase land in West Fargo uh, off of 52nd Avenue for a future home for West Campus. And I uh, just want to let you know that, you know, there's a process that you go through, just like buying a home. we got to sign paperwork and do all those things. All that is all complete as of last week. And so that land is uh, the, yours. So congratulations. It's good news. This morning, we continue a series we launched on Wednesday night called The Ten Commandments. We, we decided we didn't need to rename that one, uh, that that speaks well for itself. And in this series, we are looking at what are the Ten Commandments and why are they important. But the trick of this series is uh, during Lent, which is the season we're in, uh, we, we have different sermons on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings. And so the trick is, in order to fit all 10 commandments into that 40-day period, uh, you have to come Wednesday and Sunday. Otherwise, if you just come once a week, you're only going to get half the commandments, and you're going to live a lopsided life. <laughs> so I just want to gently nudge you, encourage you to look at your schedule, and uh, come uh, twice a week for worship as we gather the Ten Commandments. If we could put those up, uh, the Ten Commandments on slide. One of the things I want to get to right off the bat is, is some of you have probably noticed that out in the world, if you order like a poster or something with the Ten Commandments, is that there's two different orders to the Ten Commandments. What I have before you is the one that we use as Lutherans. Uh, in our Lutheran tradition, which is similar uh, to ones that the Catholic tradition uses. So what is that all about? Why is that there? Well, the first thing that I want to know is that nowhere in Exodus or Deuteronomy or nowhere in the New Testament is it called the Ten Commandments. Is it called the Ten Commandments? If you notice Jesus today in our gospel, he said, keep the commandments. And the, the rich young man said, which ones? Uh, the, the idea of Ten Commandments was something that came later. The first person, well, there were people that ordered them and numbered them, uh, but in the Christian traditions, one of the first people to order them was a, was a guy named Origen in the 200s. And Origen ordered them in what would be a, a different way than this. Basically, that the first commandment, you shall have no other gods, is two commandments. You shall have no other gods, and then the second commandment would be, you shall not make any graven images that you worship to that God, any false idols. Origen said that those were separate commandments. Uh, a guy named Augustine, who came around in three, four hundreds, felt that they were the same thing. That keeping God first and not worshiping false idols is basically the same commandment. So that is why they are there. And then how they end, uh, the way that Origen got 10, is he basically put the coveting ones, which are two different things, into two, or one, excuse me, if you were to do the Origen's thing. If you do Augustine's order, the coveting is two different things. The, the coveting is split into two different things. Luther kept that Catholic tradition, as he wrote the small catechism. Uh, it was one of the things that he did not change, that he did not change. John Calvin, 
who came shortly after Luther. Actually, Calvin and Luther were contemporaries. They met. Uh, John Calvin, who was a reformer in a lot of Protestant traditions uh, that, that follow the teachings of Calvin, went back to the teaching of Origen. Uh, also in this, Eastern Orthodox traditions, so Orthodox like Russian Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, Christian traditions, which is one of the splits of Christianity, they follow that original or the other order than we do. Here's the, the thing, though. I don't think it matters what number you put on them. What matters is that we read them, study them, know them, obey them, live them. Amen? Okay. Just so we get that right. That's a little bit of why uh, the history of, is of that. So we're going to look today at the first commandment. You shall have no other gods, which if you are in that other tradition, is the first two commandments. You shall have no other gods, and you shall not bear, uh, have a false idol. You shall not make any graven images and worship that. You shall have no other gods. God says in our gospel today, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to the thousands of those who love me and keep my commands. So one of the things we see right away in the first commandment is God and God alone wants to be number one in our lives. God and God alone wants to be number one in our lives. And the reason is, is because he loves you and you are his child, his creation. And he desires to be number one. And, and he goes on to say uh, that, that for those who keep those commands, to, who place me number one in their lives, blessings for a thousand generations, uh, but if we live outside of his commands, then there will be iniquity. There will be pain. When I look at this scripture, uh, one of the things that's helpful for me is rather than seeing this as prescriptive, meaning that that is something God punishes a grandchild or a great-grandchild for the sin of their father or great-grandfather or great-grandmother, I see it as more descriptive. Isn't that true? Uh, if you were to draw the, the family tree... And take a real look at that and look at maybe if you had a relative on there that was abusive or an addict or addictive or far from God or acted in ways uh, that were toxic or unhealthy, it does have an effect to two, three, four, sometimes beyond generations. That's just the truth. But what God is saying that I'm giving you these commands, part of the reasons we give the commandments is so that you can live in a right relationship with me and with the world, and there's blessing in that. But as we think about this first command, this first commandment, you shall have no other gods, really is the main one. Because every other commandment has to do with placing God first or not. Every other commandment has to do with placing God first or not. Let's think about this. Another way to, to think about this is, is I brought in a prop today. This is supposed to be, if, if God wants to be number one, that means that God is on the throne. I couldn't find any thrones other than the porcelain type. 
And my mom wouldn't let me, I mean my mom, my wife. Oops. This is recorded. I love you, honey. Wouldn't let me rip the toilet out of the floor. Right? So we have this blue chair with a high back uh, to be the throne. Here's the question I want to ask you today. If God is number one, God's on the throne. If God's not number one, who or what is on the throne in your life? Who or what is on the throne in your life? What false god or idol? Now, the obvious list, we think, what's the obvious, you know, sinful stuff? Possessions, the things that we have, money, addictions. But if we really dwell on this, if we really think about what's on the throne, maybe what's on the throne is is not the obvious stuff. Maybe it's the stuff beyond the stuff. And what I mean by that is relationships, the pursuit of comfort, security in our life, anger that we're holding on to, pleasure, the desire to control our own pride. Those things uh, certainly we can place on the throne and they can cause us to place God as second fiddle in our lives. Perhaps a healthy way or a helpful way for us to begin that is is to think about false idols or false god is that let's just define what a false idol or false god is in our life. If we go to that next slide. John Calvin, uh, the reformer, said that our hearts are idol factories. Our hearts are idol factories. Meaning our, our sin nature Our sin nature, what it causes in us is to constantly want to put all kinds of things in this world before God. That is the nature of sin. But I want to give you some definitions of of idols. And these aren't my definitions. They're definitions I've seen throughout time and and, and generations. So first, it's just the, the biblical one. A graven or handcrafted image that we worship. Graven meaning inscribed. We see this certainly In Israel, the nation, Moses goes up to the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. He comes down. What what have the people done in his absence? They they made a golden cow, and they started worshiping it. Now you might think, well, I'm not making any golden cows. Anybody? I hope you're not making any golden cows. It's not a good idea. But, But what are the things that maybe you're creating or you're looking at in your life that have become the center? What are, what are things that, that you worship? And maybe that's not an image, but maybe it's, it's the, the image of something. I remember having a conversation, and I'm not casting judgment on people uh, today, but this, the lady called me up once and said, Pastor Paul, I'm thinking about getting a tattoo. What does the Bible say about it? And there's a, 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 a verse in, the, in Leviticus, I believe it is, that says that's a bad idea. But there's also verses there that says you shouldn't eat shellfish and things like that, right? So that's really a, a context question. But I, I just simply asked the questions. I said, I'm not going to tell you right or wrong. But I am going to say, oftentimes, we tattoo on us the things that are the most important to us. And so is that thing that you're tattooing on it Is it a false idol? Or is it edifying you in your faith of the one true God? Right? 
We, we still have our graven images. We, we still have, in other words, those things that, that we create, that we worship. Another definition of idol, worshiping the created and not the creator. We get that out of order. Since the beginning, we want to worship the, the golden calf, the created thing, the thing that God created rather than the creator. Why do we do this? Well, we can grab a hold of the created we can say that the calf brings life. It, it brings sustenance. The land brings everything we need. So, so we should worship the land. The water provides what the land needs to grow the crop. So we should worship the water, right? We can touch that. We can hold of that. But, but when we do that, we, we get that out of order. God is the one that gave us all of that as a good gift, and so one of the things that's clear for us as Christians is, is that we don't worship creation, we worship the created. Now this is a big temptation. You may think, well, that's not a problem for me. I get that. It's a big temptation for me, actually. I'm an outdoorsman. I often think, if God hadn't called me to a pastor, would I be here most Sundays? Because of temptation to say, oh, I can go find God in an ice house. Well, I can go find God in my bow stand. Oh, and it's, it, and it's beautiful. I mean, there's some nights you're sitting in the tree and the wind is blowing and the pheasants are going by and the sun is setting and, you know, the deer are coming out and it's just absolutely brilliant. It's gorgeous. And the temptation could be to say, well, that's God. I can just do my soul business there. I don't need to go to church. But what I would be doing in that moment is worshiping the created rather than the creator. Being in his word, obeying his commands, helps me rightly put that in order. And I can be thankful for God's creation, and I can praise God for it, but I am keeping it in the right order. I'm not putting it out of context. Now, why is that important? It's because I could look at that idyllic scene of the deer and all that type of stuff, and then a coyote could come along and kill one of those deer, and it's awfully confusing then if I'm worshiping creation of what creation's intent is for me. It's certainly not love. We can't get a sense of what life's purpose is from the created, only the creator. Another definition of idolatry. Every time we replace the truth of God with a lie. This happened right at the beginning. Adam and Eve ate the fruit. The serpent tempted Eve. Said, did God really say I know that commandment says, thou shall not steal. But what's the big idea, if, big deal if I take credit for someone else's idea? I mean, it's going to get me ahead in life. No one's going to know. What's the big deal if I, if I fudge that number on my tax form? Nobody's going to know. They're not going to know. Nobody's going to know. Anytime we replace the truth of God with a lie. And that includes looking at ourselves and saying, I'm worthless, or I'm unworthy of love, or I don't have any value. Right? That's a lie that comes straight from the pit of hell, from the evil one. And it may be there because we are battling life, and, and, I, and we shouldn't feel ashamed by that. But it's, it's idolatry at its core. Because we're replacing the truth of God, which is that you are a child of God and you are loved beyond limit with a distortion of truth. 
Or finally, another definition of idolatry. Anything other than God that your heart relies on or depends. One of the things that we see is that idolatry really is, it's not a matter so much of obedience and behavior. It's a matter of the heart. You are at the center of God's heart. And so God desires to be at the center of yours. Luther said in the explanation to the first commandment in the small catechism, uh, which is a, a large small catechism. If you're not from a Lutheran tradition, there were things he wrote that were explanations of certain pieces of scripture like the Lord's Prayer, the Apostles' Creed. He says this commandment means we are to fear and love God above all. We are to fear, love, and trust God above anything else. So one of the, the definitions then of, of uh, 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 idolatry is disordered love. See, one of the things that we can actually make an idol is actually the things that, that are good that we love the most. It's really easy to make our kids an idol, isn't it? To make our children an idol. And to say, everything's about them. And, and it seems almost cruel for us to say, what, are you telling me, Pastor Paul, that I need to love God than I, more than I love my kids? I don't even know if I am capable of that, of saying I love my kids less somehow. And no, I don't think what God is saying is asking us to do that. But what he is saying is that if you put love for your children above him, then that's not really love. That's a distortion of love. That to be rightly ordered means that if I love God first, if I'm fully surrendered and devoted to God first, then I'm going to rightly love my children. Do you see what I'm saying? Uh, this culture that we live in wants to place kids and their needs and their activities and, and whatever it is first. But they're not first. Right? If we love God, then we're going to rightly love our spouse. If we love God, then we're going to rightly love our kids in a way that brings blessing in life. So anything we place in our heart before God can become an idol. And so we see in this that the first commandment is primarily about our faith. It's, it's primarily about our hearts. So I would ask you again, who is on the throne in your life? Who's on the throne? Now I want to get a little practical. So for, to keep God on the throne, how do we do that? Well, I think there's lots of ways that can help. I remember listening to a preacher on the radio once. I was just on a long road trip. I just sorted through the radio, and sometimes I go by the Christian ones because, you know, I don't know what I'm going to get, what the background is, but I was listening. And, and this preacher said, it's the rule of first. He says, in order to keep God first, then in all things in your life, put God first. In your finances, make sure you give to God first out of first fruits. In your time, make sure that the first hour of your day is given to God. The rule of first. And, and I've practiced that in some ways in my life, and I, and I think it's a great thing to do, right? It helps us keep God. There's habits of faith that we can have. Learning to pray daily to God. Worshiping weekly. Serving one another, taking moments of silence, of Sabbath rest, uh, those things, and, and being accountable in that with other believers in Christ, because you can't just go do that by yourself. There's no such thing as a Christian in isolation. That, that's a great way to grow in our faith. 
Another way to, to make sure that idols aren't taking root in our life is what I would call ruthless, relentless self-examination. If you look at the lives of the reformers, if you look at Martin Luther, if you look at people like John Calvin and greats of faith, one, one of the things you often see is they were people who were incredibly, relentlessly hard on themselves sometimes. Uh, they, they, they just went after their own sin. Uh, the word of God is our mirror. James 1, 23, 24 says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at themselves goes away and immediately forgets what they look like. Are you using the word of God as a mirror? Read it, review it, commit it to memory. And ruthlessly, ruthlessly examine yourself. Or are you in denial? Right? Are, are we just comfortable in this world and, and so we just kind of get comfortable in our sin and the thing that separates us from God? The call to follow Christ is a, a confessional life. It's a repentant life, one where we, we get sick of and we desire to be rid of the sin that is in us because that's what's gonna drive us to God. There's lots of good things to do in order to, Keep God first, but the, most of the time, here's what happens, and probably what needs to happen, is those false gods need to be knocked off the throne. Most of the time, if I'm being honest in my life, the way that this happens, that God has put first, is those false gods need to be knocked off of our throne. You see this in the encounter Jesus had with the young man today. He comes to Jesus, wants to follow him. He says, what should I do? He says, well, keep the commands. He says, which ones? Jesus rattles off a few. He says, I've kept all those. And I'm sure Jesus is thinking, okay, this young man thinks he's perfect. But, and Jesus knows him, right? And Jesus knows his story. And so he goes right to the heart of the matter. He says, you want to follow me? I know you've got a lot of stuff. Sell your stuff, give it to the poor, and follow me. And the young man walks away sad because he can't do it. He can't do it. Now, did Jesus lack compassion for this young man? No, he knocked him off of his throne. Why? For a very good reason, that he would realize that he himself can't do it, only God can. That's why when his disciples looked at him and they were amazed, they were astonished by this because in their context, someone who was rich and wealthy was closer to God. That was the Jewish Context and understanding. If you were you financially blessed and materially blessed, that means God had blessed you. But God knocks him off of his throne. Because why? Because with man, these things are impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So what have you put on the throne? What have you put on the throne? See, Jesus likes to take things off thrones. And he does that by crawling up onto a throne. It's not a glittery throne encrusted with diamonds. It's not a throne of worldly power and influence. It's a wooden throne that's smeared with blood and sweat, insults and ridicule. 
and the depth of pain and hurt and humanity. And he crawls on that throne to knock down our idols and replace it with his love. And we receive this, Lord, we receive this as a free gift. It's not something we can do ourselves, but simply something we need to surrender and allow God's grace to live in us. And so now what? Well, as Luther says, let us fear, love, and trust God who sit on a throne, was nailed to it for the sins of the world above all else. Amen. Father, we thank you today for your grace and love and your son, Jesus Christ. Guide us, Lord. Lead us today in your truth and in your holy word. In Jesus' name, amen.